Great to be in the house today. My name is Sean Nepstad, and my wife and I pastor this great church. And so grateful for God's word, so grateful for all of you. And clap your hands for yourself for being here on a Memorial Day weekend. I think you get extra credit points. Grab your, grab your notes out, grab your pens out, grab your Bibles out. I think it's great to have your physical Bible, like the one with pages. That's amazing to have, but if you don't have that, no problem. We have the notes on the screen, or the, the notes are provided for you, but we'd like you to take some notes today. We started a series last Sunday entitled Fan the Flame. It's, a, it's really a study through the book of 2 Timothy, and today we want to look at 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6, which is our theme verse. Paul is writing to a young pastor named Timothy, and he says, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. How many thankful for the gift of God? But sometimes that can grow small. And so he's saying, listen, that gift was not meant to dwindle. That, that gift was meant to thrive. And so today, I want you to turn and tell the, mer- the, the person sitting next to you our sermon title today. Look at him. Say this. Say this. I'm in it to win it. Come on, turn and tell the person who's your second choice. I'm in it to win it. By a show of hands, how many people, show of hands, how many are competitive people. Come on, wave at me, wave at me. Some of you, somebody in the room is like, I'm so competitive, I have my hand up first. (laughs) I'm so competitive. I love to win, and I hate losing. If I'm going to play something, I'm trying to win this thing. You know what I'm saying? My wife, Diana, is the polar opposite. She's not competitive at all, which makes it so hard for us to be on the same team when we're playing game night. Like, it's so difficult. She's the type, she's like, everybody's the winner. You guys did great. It's just about having fun. It's not, it's not fun unless you win. She's like helping the other team. She'll give answers, yell out answers. Like, what are you, what are you doing? Like, everybody's a winner. No, everybody's not a winner. How many are like Diana? You're not competitive at all. You're not competitive? Okay, how many are like me? It's like there's a very clear winner, and then there's the first loser. (laughs) Hate to lose. But winning requires hard work, doesn't it? Focus. It it requires drive. And I'm I'm telling you, God has a plan for your life. Come on, how many want to succeed in what God called you to do? Well, we want to help you. As a church, we want to help you so you can know God. Find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference because God made you to be a champion and God created you on purpose and for a purpose. And yet, we live in a world where so many people don't have a clue what their purpose is. In a time of widespread despair, a wave of depression and hopelessness has flooded our world. So many people are searching for things and nothing really seems to satisfy. We call evil good and we call good evil. And we're facing a generation right now that is slowly drifting because we've lost our anchor. So many people feel like they're wandering in life, straying because of a lack of purpose, searching for fulfillment. And now we see people going mad because of greed or lust or emptiness, brokenness, crime, hate. That's our generation right now. What's crazy is if you look at the first century in which this book is written to a young man named Timothy, About 67 AD, the time seemed about the same. Distorted values, incredible confusion going on, dangerous uprising. The Roman world at that time, this is where the book is written in Rome, 
that, that time, it was a crazy time because the Roman Empire was about to explode and the Jewish uprising in the east was already beginning. Pretty soon the temple of, of God would be destroyed and they would slaughter the Jews and take many of the Jews captive. It's in this setting, all of this around the corner, that we turn the pages and we look at a passage written by an old man in a dungeon. The Mamertine prison is what it's called. And I was there a couple weeks ago and I showed you the video last Sunday in the message. It's really a hole in the ground. It's a sewer of some sort. And in this sewer, many times they would kill the prisoners by just filling it up with water. He's awaiting execution just for preaching Jesus. And in this deep, dark, damp dungeon, instead of complaining about a situation like I would have done, he turns around and he writes a letter under the candlelight to encourage a young pastor. This is 2 Timothy. It's the second letter he has had to write to a young man named Timothy. And he tells him in our theme verse, fan into flame the gift of God that's inside of you already. We're going to ask ourselves some questions. If we're really in this thing to win it, let's ask ourselves some questions. Number one, write this down. Am I getting stronger in my gift? Am I getting stronger in my gift? It's important not just to have a gift, but are you getting stronger? Are you developing the gift? 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 opens up. And by the way, this is incredibly difficult for a preacher to unpack an entire chapter, but that's the challenge. So every week we take one chapter and we, we try to go through the whole chapter as fast as we can, kind of as an overview. And I would encourage you, before we get to next Sunday, read 2 Timothy chapter 3 so you'll be aware of what's coming. Chapter 2, he says this, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. He opens up again. This is the second time he's called him his son. Not a biological son, a spiritual son. And how many know we need some more spiritual fathers to step up and to help lead this next generation? That's why small groups are so important. You can do that through small groups or through relationship. But Paul noticed something in Timothy when he was about 16 years old. Now Paul has been traveling with Timothy, or Timothy has been traveling with Paul for about 16 years now. Paul is pouring his life out into him. And he left him about four years prior to this letter in a city called Ephesus, where we have the book of Ephesians. Timothy's preaching there. He's pastoring this church. He's a young pastor. He's intimidated. And so Paul writes and says, fan the flame. My son, you're my son. I'm proud of you. But be strong in the gift that God's given you. Be strong in the grace. And that word grace, there's a couple different words in the Bible for grace. One is the grace that God has saved us from. Come on, how many thankful, God, thankful to God for his amazing grace? It's the free, unmerited favor of God that saves us. Well, this is a different word. It's actually the word charis. Charis, C-H-A-R-I-S. It refers to the grace gift that God's given you. He says, be strong in the charis, the gift that God's given you. Well, in order to be strong in it, you have to know it. And if you're gonna know it, you have to know him. Because Jesus is the giver of the gift. Can I hear a good amen, everybody? Paul says, I want you to be strong in the gift, be aware, be confident, be effective in the gift. And honestly, that's why our growth track is so vitally important to people's walk. Because so many people don't know what their gift is. And we just come alongside of you and we help you discover what the gift is so you can actually spend part of your life doing what God called you to do. You say, what's the growth track? When is it? It starts the first Sunday of every month. So June 3rd, take your phone out, put it in your calendar. It's your opportunity to join the church and become a member, and then we go through a four-week process of just helping you discover your gifts so you can actually spend part of your life 
actually doing what God created you to do. So first Sunday is step one. Second Sunday is step two. Third Sunday is a step three. Fourth Sunday is step four. You're really smart. So 10 o'clock or 5.15, jump in, and I'm expecting June 3rd to be incredibly packed. We had 137 people this month go through growth track. They're graduating out of that. Come on, let's clap our hands and welcome all of them. So Paul is saying to Timothy, if we are in this thing to win it, I'm getting ready to pass some things on to you, Timothy, and I need you not to just possess the gift. I need you to be effective in the gift. So am I getting stronger in the gift? And then write this down. Here's another question. Who am I pouring my life into right now? Who am I pouring my life into right now? We all want people to pour their lives into us. Who are we now pouring our life into? Anything God gives me, I try to give away. And I have the incredible opportunity and privilege to sit with amazing pastors around the country and around the world. And anything they give me, I turn around and now sit with other pastors to help them out. Like, we're just always trying to think, how can we pass this on? 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2 says, And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to, underline this word, reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others also. Like, I'm going to pour into you, and then you turn around, and you pour into somebody else. He says to him, multiply yourself, Timothy. Like, everything I'm giving you, it's not just for you. Pass it on. Develop somebody else. Pour your life into somebody else and trust somebody else because I want you to trust other people who are reliable so they can turn around and keep passing it on. Okay, here's a big question. If you're asking God for more, some of you have been saying, man, I want to be used by God more. I want more. And I believe through this series, I believe there's some gifts that are stirring up that have been lying dormant for a long time. And some of the gifts you thought were dead, Jesus is coming saying, I am the resurrection. I am the life. And he's calling those gifts back to life again. Here's the question. If we're here, if we're waving our hand to God saying, I want to be used more, God. Okay, here's the question. Ask yourself this. How reliable am I? If we're asking for more, how reliable are we? It's a big question, right? Look at Proverbs chapter 25, verse 19. The great proverb. This is great. Putting confidence in an unreliable person in times of trouble is like chewing with a broken tooth or walking with a lame foot. That, that's amazing. Have you ever had a sprained ankle before? And you didn't fix it? You can't put weight on it. What is he saying? An unreliable person? You can't lean on them. You can't trust them. You can't put any weight on them. If we're asking God for more, let's be reliable. I, like, I want to be the guy who you want to pass the ball to in the game because you trust me to steward the, the shot well. How many ever play basketball? How many love basketball? You love basketball? Come on, go Warriors. Let's just clap our hands for that the Warriors destroyed the Rockets last night. Oh, thank you, Jesus. That's what makes today a great day. Rockets, R.I.P. We clapped our hands for, for Warriors. I think we ought to clap our hands for Jesus. Come on, can we clap our hands for God? We love you, God. You ever play basketball with somebody? who always wants the ball, but shouldn't have the ball. Because all the, they don't pass to anybody. They're a ball hog, and they can't shoot. They're, they're horrible, but they always take the shot. Like, I don't want to be that. I, I want to be the guy that you, you're confident in. And I want you to be reliable. When we pass the vision on to people, I, I'm hoping that the vision stays clear. 
Like you ought to know the vision of this church. If you don't know it, God gave us two words for this church a long time ago. If you know them, say them out loud. Come on. Hope and healing. Hope for you tomorrow, healing from your yesterday. What are the four things we do? Very simple. We want you to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. How do we accomplish that? Weekend services, small groups, growth track, and dream team. Like, I want you to know the vision. How many remember tapes? Like before CDs. Some of you are like, what's that tape? Do you wrap presents with that? No, it was, it was a tape. And here's what you would do with your tape. You would put the tape into the boom box. What's a boom box? I'm going to have to explain everything to this generation. Put the tape into the boom box, listen to your ra- favorite radio station, wait for your song to come on, and then press record. And then... Then, you had several of the best songs on your, what you would call, mixtape. Oh, when your friends found out you had the mixtape, they were like, can I get a copy? Can I get a copy? You had the jams on there. And then what you would do is you would make a copy of a copy. Every time you make a copy of a copy, you would lose quality. Like the first one sounded okay, by the third and fourth generation, it sounded like the band was underwater. It was like, (laughs) we still played it, didn't we? (laughs) Listen, I'm praying when we pass the vision on to you, that it's clear. That is concise. Because if you don't get it in your second generation, what is the third and fourth generation going to hear? We ought to know what the vision is, who we are, what God's called us to. Let's be clear on the vision and let's pass it on and let's be reliable to teach others also. Come on, let's fan into flame the gift of God. Let's stir up the gift. Let's be strong in the grace God's given us. Develop it. Use it and pass it on. Pass it on to your children. Pass it on to the dream team. Pass it on to your small group. Pass it on to the growth track. Pass it on to the Bay Area that is in desperate need of some true hope and healing in Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, that's why it's such a value to us. That's why we have a Bible college right here on this campus. We have a Bible college. We just completed our first year. So proud of them. And you can, by the way, you can jump into this. And many of you are starting to feel a tug towards ministry. Well, you can earn your degree while while really in the working lab of a growing church, learn the practical side of ministry. That's why we have interns, and they'll be graduating. The interns are graduating today, and I'm so proud of them. They just got back from the Dream Center, serving the homeless of L.A. and pouring their life out. Maybe God's calling you to give nine months of your life to him. And it's on Sundays, and and it doesn't take your week up, but it's Sundays. It's really easy, but we want to train you to be comfortable and confident in ministry. I believe God's calling us, and this is why we do it, because we want to pass it on to some reliable people. Okay, write this down. Here's what we're going to need if we're going to be in it to win it. I'm going to need dedication, discipline, and diligence. Let's go. What we need. If we're going to win, we need dedication, we need discipline, and we need diligence. Timothy goes on in verse 3. He says, join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. 
No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Well, who's our commanding officer? It's God. We're trying to please God. Similarly, anyone who competes in it as an athlete does not receive a victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. And then the third one, the hardworking farmer should be first to receive the share of crops. And he says, reflect on this, what I'm saying. For the Lord will give you insight to all this. Well, here's what I believe the insight is. I believe that we need the dedication of a soldier, the discipline of an athlete. We need the diligence of a farmer. We need all three metaphors. And he comes along and we unpack it a little bit. Like, what's the dedication of a soldier? Well, a soldier's not getting distracted. He's focused. There's a mission. There's a mandate. He's not getting distracted by sideline activities. He knows what he's there for. And determination has a focus. It's willing to suffer. It's willing to be uncomfortable. It's laying your life down and saying, I'm giving my life to you, Jesus, and to your calling, because I'm saved, I'm called according to your purpose and your grace. I need the discipline of an athlete. Gotta love athletes, man. While you're out at Chili's getting a molten lava cake, they're having a salad. Because they know I'm willing to be trained so I can get better, so I can go towards my goal and the prize and win, and I'm not gonna win unless I compete according to the rules. The diligence of a farmer. A farmer knows. A farmer knows he's not going to reap a harvest unless he plants something and then cultivates something. Like, this is hard work, baby. This is not something easy. This is hard work. You got to be diligent. You got to be willing to suffer, willing to get up early, willing to go for it. And he knows he will not reap if he does not sow. Paul is so timely with this to Timothy. He says, listen, your calling, Timothy, is so great. You're going to need all three. You're going to need the, the, the dedication of a soldier, the discipline of an athlete, the diligence of a farmer, and what he's stressing is this. You don't win without effort. Like, there's got to be some effort on our part to do what God's called us to do. Come on, there's no crown without a cross. No pain, no gain. And this is not comfortable. It's not comfortable. Like, you're not going to be comfortable all the time. But God never promised you comfort. He promised you purpose. How much are we missing out on in life because we refuse to be uncomfortable? Like we have our little comfort zone and we want to stay there. No, I don't want to do that. It's uncomfortable. I don't want to talk to them. It's uncomfortable. I don't want to serve. It's uncomfortable. I'm telling you, comfortable people are, this is what they look like when they're comfortable, asleep. I don't want to go through life asleep. I want to go through life on purpose, making the biggest difference we possibly can because I'm in it to win it. Come on, turn and tell somebody I'm in it to win it. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 12 says this, echoes, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, I believe that's all the people who've already gone to heaven, let us throw off everything, everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us and let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. He started this thing. He's going to finish this thing. He's the pioneer. He's the perfecter of our faith. Amen, everybody. Amen. Paul comes along and he says how to do this. He says this. Write this down. Just remember Jesus. Rem Timothy, I know it's going to be hard, but remember Jesus. Verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ, and not just Jesus, like the good teacher Jesus, not just Jesus, the moral person Jesus. He says, remember Jesus who was raised from the dead. 
He descended from David, so he was fully human, and he was fully God. And this is my gospel. Come on, we ought to remember Jesus. Remember his love. Remember his message. Remember his grace. Remember his tenderness in talking to sinners. Remember his strength. Remember his willingness to serve. Remember his justice. Remember his mercy. Remember his back that was ripped for us. Remember his hands and his feet that were nailed to a tree for us. Somebody ought to remember the cross. Somebody ought to remember the moment where they took his limp body off and buried him in a tomb. But please, for the love of God, do not stop there. Please remember Sunday morning. Remember when the disciples came running to the tomb? Remember when they were overwhelmed because the tomb was empty? Remember, remember the Holy Spirit that was poured out for us? Remember Jesus. Remember how he's able to save the uttermost. Remember how he's called you. Remember his love for you. Remember everything that he's doing for you. And if your faith is faltering right now, remember Jesus Christ who came to this earth to pay for sin so that we could have eternal life. Come on. Somebody clap your hands and remember Jesus. Like in the hard times, remember Jesus. In a nation that's divided, we ought to remember Jesus. When your marriage is on the rocks, remember Jesus. When your kids are straying, remember Jesus. When you're going through depression, remember Jesus. When you're tempted to throw in the towel, remember Jesus, who's able to do exceedingly and abundantly and above all we could ask according to the power that works inside of you. Somebody ought to clap your hands and remember Jesus Christ. Come on. He rose for you from a dungeon. He's looking at a young preacher saying, don't forget Jesus. You can't do this without Jesus. Remember Jesus. Remember the gift I'm telling you to stir up. You can't stir that up without Jesus. Always come back to Jesus. You're like, Sean, why you always talk about Jesus? Because he's the only message that I've got. It always has been Jesus. It always will be Jesus. It's forever Jesus. Come on. There is no other way. There is no other answer. There's no way I could deal with my past and my sin and my shame and eternal life. It's just Jesus. Thank God for Jesus, because if it wasn't for him, we'd be toast. Oh, the grace of Jesus. Why are you shouting? Why are you shouting for the warriors? You screamed for the warriors last night. They don't even know your name. So excuse me for just a second as I shout for a Jesus who paid the ultimate price for my life, knows my name, and has given me eternal life. Come on. It's just perspective. It's all perspective. So fan the flame. Be strong in the grace, the gift that he's given you, and run the race in front of you. If, if Paul continues in verse 8, he says, this is my gospel. I like that. I never really thought about it as my gospel. I always thought about it as God's gospel. But at some point, you have to make this your own. Where it no longer is mom and dad's gospel, grandma and grandpa's gospel, pastor's gospel. It's my gospel. This is who we are. The message of Jesus. That's the message of the gospel. So if we're in it to win it, when you make it your own, write this down. This is what changes. Then I'm willing to sacrifice for others to know God. When it really becomes my own, I'm willing to sacrifice for this thing because it's ours. Verse 9, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 9 says, For which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. 
Look at, look at me, everybody. He's in a dungeon for just preaching Jesus. But God's word is not chained. <laughs> I love that. You might be able to chain the man, but you can't chain the message. <laughs> He's there writing from a dungeon letters, putting it in the post office, and they send it out some other churches that are encouraged, and now we're reading this letter 2,000 years later. How many thank God that the message of Jesus is not chained? Therefore, I endure everything. I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Here's a trustworthy saying. If we die with him, we'll also live with him. If we endure, we'll also reign with him. If we disown him, watch out because he'll disown us. Verse 3, 13, here's the good news. If we're faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. How many thank God for the faithfulness of God? Even when we were faithless, he was still faithful. Listen, everybody, sacrifice is this. I'm willing to sacrifice for this thing, to others, for others to know God. Sacrifice is this. It's giving up something we value for something we value more. It's not that we don't value what we're giving up. We do value that. But I just value the end result more than what I'm giving up. I'm sacrificing this. I'm willing to give up sleep to serve people. I'm willing to give up an hour of sleep for an hour of devotion. Well, I value sleep. How many thank God for sleep? Some of you are like, I'm taking a dream about taking naps right now. We, we give up something we value for something we value more. So I'm willing to serve the dream team. I'm willing to join the church. I'm willing to give. I'm willing to suffer. I'm willing to, to, to pray. Why? Because Paul was willing to suffer. He was, he was uncomfortable. He was in a prison, chained up like a criminal, lack of food loneliness, boredom, all of that so others just might be saved. If Paul was willing to do that, I'm willing to go through growth track. I'm willing to join the church. I'm willing to get on the dream team. I'm willing to serve somebody else, wake up early because I know every Sunday is somebody's first Sunday and I'll put it all in perspective and say, God, I want others to know you. And this is no big sacrifice to me. You know what's crazy? The people that sacrifice the most, you talk to them, they downplay it. They act like it's no sacrifice at all. Isn't that crazy? And then you talk to some people who sacrifice a little bit, and they try to make it sound like it's everything. <laughs> like, think about your parents. They, what they sacrificed. Like, your, your mom gave birth to you. Like, her body has, has the marks to prove it. How much money did it cost to raise you? You talk to your parents, they don't look at you like, you owe me. <laughs> Why? Because they loved you. It's not a sacrifice. This is just who we are. It's not a sacrifice to serve people at the church. This is who we are. Like me going to sleep after 15 years of pastoring this church, I still went to sleep last night so excited about today. Like, this isn't getting old to me. That's, that was crazy to me. I wake up every Sunday like, I can't wait to be here. I know there's going to be some people who are hurting. I know there's going to be some people who need to know about Jesus. Man, I can't wait. It's like Disneyland to me. I just, we'll do anything we can possibly think of. Raise up more leaders. What do we got to do to help people come to know Jesus? Great missionary said this one time. Take a picture of this if you want. You're going to want to remember this. He says, if you succeed without suffering, it is because someone else has suffered in order that you might succeed. If you suffer without succeeding, 
It is in order that someone behind you might succeed without suffering. Why do we suffer? So the next generation won't have to. And if you're succeeding, listen, I believe if you're suffering without seeing the big success, you're actually succeeding because you're helping the next generation succeed. I believe true success is helping other people be successful. That's when you step back and you say, man, this is what life is about. Paul invites Timothy, hey, come suffer with me. It's not a, it's not a big invitation. We don't normally say that. Hey, come suffer with me. In-laws are coming over. Come suffer. No, no, that's bad. You don't say that. I have a great mom-in-law. She's the best. Come suffer with me? Like, wait a second. Perspective again. If we're here, if we're feeling squeezed a little, if we have to give up some stuff, if we're asked to give up some stuff, if we're laughed at by coworkers, classmates, what is that in comparison to what Paul went through as he's riding from a dungeon, not complaining, but encouraging somebody else? Come on, let's clap our hands for everybody who sacrificed for us. So grateful. And now it's our privilege to pay that forward. If I'm in it to win it, write this down, number two. I will refuse to participate in godless chatter. If I really am going to be used by God, in it to win it, I'm going to refuse to participate in godless chatter. Verse 14, keep reminding God's people of these things. Keep reminding God's people of these things. Keep reminding God's people of these things. That, that was a tape, by the way. And then he says, warn them before God against quarreling about words. It is of no value. It only ruins those who listen. Have you ever participated in gossip before? Yeah. Nobody. Well, I was just listening. No, that's the problem. It destroys those who listen. It's a seed planted in you. It's gossip. People come, you're like, I don't want to be rude. Listen, who are we trying not to offend? The person or God? And it's hard for some of you in what you do because everybody wants to come to you. It's like people, you're a magnet for people. If you're a magnet for people to come and talk to, maybe that's not a good thing to pride yourself with. Why do they feel so comfortable gossiping to you? We thought it was a gift. He says it destroys those who listen. This is hard for some of you hairdressers and barbers. You're like, I just cut hair. Everybody wants to just unload. And here's how you do it. You don't rebuke them like, what are you, that's gossip. I rebuke that in the name of Jesus. <laughs> now, don't do that. Just learn the art of redirecting the conversation. Redirect the conversation. Why? Because it's destroying you on the inside and you don't even know it. Let's go on. It's of no value. It destroys those who listen. Verse 15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. If we're going to correctly handle the word of truth, we need to know the Bible. We need to know the word of truth. And we're not going to participate in godless chatter. Avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. That's not even a word we use nowadays. How are you feeling today? I don't know. It's just a little ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene among Hymenaeus and Philetus, 
There's a couple people who did that. They departed from the truth. They say that the resurrection of, Jesus, or of the people has already taken place. They destroy the faith of some. Okay, watch this. In the first century, the devil tried to come and destroy the early church with persecution from outside. And I walked to the Roman Colosseum where history records that some of the Christians were killed there for their faith. But that didn't stop the church. It exploded. And the devil had a new tactic in Acts chapter 5. And now here, he's not going to just try to attack the church from the outside. He found out he's way more effective from attacking the church from the inside. Little fights, little quarrels, little gossip here. Oh, it's not that bad. I just want you to know. It's dangerous. It's more dangerous than you think. It hurts more than you think. And it spreads, he says, like gangrene. It's ungodly. It, here's God, and it says it pushes you to become more and more ungodly. It's pushing you in the opposite direction as God, spreading like gangrene. I looked up some pictures on gangrene. I don't, I don't, I don't recommend it. <laughs> like, it was nasty. Limbs are falling off. It's turning color. It was, ugh, I threw up in my mouth a little bit. When I was 11th grade, I had a little, like a, uh, I don't know what it was, kind of like a cyst on my finger, and I popped it. Well, the next day, I had red streaks in my arm. It's weird. I go to my coach, basketball coach, because coach knows everything. Hey, coach, what's this? He's like, ah, oh, it's a pulled muscle. <laughs> Thanks, coach. Next day, it goes from my finger to my armpit. And I'm walking through history class. Mrs. Cruz, my history teacher, thank God for Mrs. Cruz, wouldn't be here without Mrs. Cruz. She says to me, you're going to the doctor. I was like, it's no big deal. Coach said it's a pulled muscle. She said, it's serious. Go to the doctor now. And I thought, oh, I get, I get to get out of class. So I, I got out of class. I drove all slow to the hospital, walked in. I was like, yeah, coach, it's a pulled muscle, but my teacher made me come. The doctor says, it's a good thing you came because four more hours you would have lost your arm, and in six hours you would have been dead. That type of gangrene, blood poisoning spreads so fast. How to get a shot in the bootay. <laughs> Listen, interesting, the Bible calls the church the body of Christ. And unfortunately, the devil has come through God this chatter and has severed limbs of certain churches. And for some churches, it's taken their entire life. He's killed that church. May that never be said of us. Amen, everybody. Amen. I refuse to participate in godless chatter. Be the last person on the gossip train. When gossip comes to you, if it does come to you and you're not able to like put it down, you ought to, you ought to not be the first to know. Like I already knew that. <laughs> Paul says, remind the church Warn the church, avoid it, it'll spread, and it destroys the faith of some. If I'm in it to win it, write this down. Here's another point. I'll say yes to the right things and no to the wrong things. I'm going to say yes to the right things, no to the wrong things. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription. The Lord knows whose are his, and everyone who confesses his name must turn away from wickedness. You saying I have to change? No, no, no. I'm saying now we get to change. Like this turning away from, we ought to thank God he still allows U-turns. 
Come on, we were headed in one way. It was the wrong way. It was the wrong direction, headed for destruction. But he came into our life. He infiltrated our heart with his love and his grace. And he altered the course of our life forever. We ought to thank God he could still take the wheel. Verse 20. We gotta hurry. In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood, hay, wood and clay, some for special purposes and some for common use. New King James says, for some for honor and some for dishonor. Okay, listen, God can use anybody. Would you agree with that? He used Pharaoh, the children of Israel. He, he was opposing the children of Israel. That wasn't a good place to be used. He used Nebuchadnezzar. That was not a good place to be used. The question is not, is God going to use you? The question is, how will he use you? He will use you. Maybe to be a bad example or a good example. Will he use you for good or bad? Will it be for honor or dishonor? We want to be used by God. Yeah, remember Judas was used by God too. And none of us want to go down in history like that. So verse 21 tells us how. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purpose, made holy, set apart, useful for the master, prepared for any good work. This is an interesting thought because it says to cleanse ourselves, which, by the way, first glance, we're like, we can't cleanse ourselves. We, can't, we don't have the power to do that. But our choices determine how God uses us. How we live determines how God uses us. Let me put it this way. When you're hungry, <clears throat> you need something a food, and you're going to put the food on a plate, do you go to the sink where the plates have been sitting there for three days? You get that nasty plate with like old tomato sauce, PB&J that's been sitting there for three days. Do you grab that one? Are you using that one? No. No way. You're going to the plate in the cupboard that's been clean. Watch this. It's not new, but it's clean. And because it's clean, it's like new. When God is looking around, hey, who can I use? Who can I use? He's looking for those people who've cleansed themselves, who are ready to be used. Because if we're not cleansing ourselves, cleansing our mind, God looks at us and says, man, I, I might have to use somebody else if I can't use you. I'm going to serve my gospel on, on a dirty plate. Watch this. He doesn't judge you based on you being dirty before. Because once you're clean, you're clean. That old nasty plate that you almost thought, I'll just throw these away. You ever looked at the dishes and thought, I'm just throwing all these away. <laughs> put them in the dishwasher and start over. No, you put them in the dishwasher, the soap, all that cleanses it. Pretty soon you put it back in the cupboard and now it's ready to be used to serve an amazing dinner on. Listen, God wants to cleanse you. We can't cleanse ourselves, but here's what he's saying. I believe that we are able to now use the cleansing that is available. Let me say it this way. If you're working on a car and your hands are dirty because of the car engine, you go to the bathroom and there's soap and water there and you clean up your hands, you didn't actually clean your hands, the soap and water cleans your hands. But you just used what was provided to clean. In the same way, we can't cleanse ourselves. We come to Jesus and we use what he's provided to cleanse us. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Come on, clap your hands and thank God today for a cleansing power. Watch this. If you go to the bathroom where there's soap and water and you refuse to use it, you can come out as dirty as you went in. You ever been in a public bathroom before? Somebody uses the bathroom and they leave without washing their hands? You give them a look, don't you? Like, 
Mental note, don't shake his hand. I think that's where fist bumps came about. <laughs> that's funny. Okay, watch this. You can't blame the bathroom. That was him. That's his fault. In the same way, Jesus has provided everything necessary for us to be forgiven. Everything necessary. But if we come to church and we don't apply the principles God's word tells us to, if we don't place our faith in Jesus Christ, if there's not a turning away from our old life, you can't blame God. That's you. But how many are grateful today Jesus Christ has provided everything possible to be forgiven? And he wants to use you for a special purpose. He cleanses you, sets you apart, and makes you brand new. Verse 22, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. This is not just running away from something. Because running away from something, you have no clear direction. You're just trying to escape. He says, pursue other things. Pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, God. We're not just running away from, we're running towards him. We're pursuing something. You're in a hot pursuit of God's purpose. And his purpose for your life is amazing. Listen, he says, we do this with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. We don't do this alone. We do this with those who call on the Lord. That's why small groups are so important. Today, we launch small groups for the summer semester for six weeks. We'll give you a couple weeks to sign up. Just go shopping on our website. Jump in one. It's, one. it's some of the best stuff our church has to offer. There are groups meeting from basketball, anything to Bible study. But you're doing it, and you're pursuing love together. You're pursuing peace together. You're pursuing righteousness together. You're building relationship. And we get to a place where we're now on the dream team serving, making a difference. We're doing this together. Somebody say we're better together. So we're going to say yes to the right things, no to the wrong things. Okay, let me ask you a question. Without me speaking directly to you, what is God saying right now to you? Because without me even saying it, there's stuff that's been popping up. Man, I need to, I need to say yes to the right things. I'm going to say no to some, I'm going home today to say no to some stuff. And I believe God is going to set you apart. Verse 23, let's go through this. He says, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments. Somebody say, stupid. <laughs> Just feels good to say it like that, doesn't it? Stupid arguments. They are stupid because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach and not resentful. I think we've lost the art of being kind. Just be kind. You preach a great message on another topic, everybody's screaming, standing up, clapping. If I preach a message on kind, hey, let's be kind. People are like, what? what? Yeah, it's actually a big deal to God. Romans 2, 4 says, it's the kindness of the Lord that draws people to repentance. We've got to figure out a kind way to reach God's lost kids, everybody. We're kind. He says, we're not resentful. Don't carry resentment from your past into pre, uh, from previous relationships and churches and workplaces. Don't bring that with you. Lay it down. You ought to be able to teach somebody. You're like, I can't teach. Learn something in the Bible and teach it to the washcloth in the shower. Practice somewhere. So that when you get in McDonald's or you get in a place where you're going to tell somebody about the Lord, it's not the very first time that you're articulating it, but you're learning this process. Is this helping, yes or no? Be kind to everyone, not resentful. Then the last verses, verse 25. Opponents must be gently instructed. Like, to people that don't even believe what we believe, it's okay to talk to them about where God wants us to go. It's okay, but you do it gently. 
You do it kindly. It's not, it's not angrily. It's not re resentfully. But gently instruct them in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of truth so that they will come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Listen, I'm telling you, Paul is speaking from experience because he used to be the guy who persecuted the church of Jesus Christ. And then on a road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9, Jesus encountered him, and pretty soon the kindness of the Lord pointed him to go to a street called Straight. And there he met a man named Ananias who was a Jewish man. He could have looked at Paul and says, man, you have tried to kill my friends, my family members, cousins in prison. I hate you. Get out of my house. Ananias said, he laid his hands on him and said, brother Saul. This guy, because of the kindness that he was shown, would turn around and become the greatest missionary this world has ever known. I can't be kind. Yes, you can, because you have the Holy Spirit of God in you. And if you have the Holy Spirit, you have the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, is this, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You have it all. And I need you to understand, to stir up the gift inside of you. It's no good to just have a gift. We need to be strong in the gift because God is going to use you in a great way to change the world. Amen, everybody. Come on, let's clap our hands and say a good amen. Your head's bowed and your eyes closed. I believe God is stirring up the gift inside of this church that there are many gifts coming to life and many of you think that that's dead. The gift is dead. No, Jesus is the resurrection and he is the life. He's calling those dead dreams and gifts back to life today. I believe through this series, God is reawakening passions to serve people and to sacrifice and to go for it and be reliable and not to engage in godless chatter. If you're here today and you say, Sean, my life isn't right with God, but I need it to be, I wanna lead you in a commitment prayer that you can pray right here, right now. And you say, that, that's me, count me in the prayer. I'm giving my life to Jesus, I'm rededicating my life to God. I'm not gonna call you to the front or embarrass you in any way, I just wanna pray for you. If that's you, lift your hand, come on, all over the room. Family worship room two, one, two, three, lift it up, this is me, yes, 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 yes. Yes, 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 yes. It's awesome. Okay, pray this out and mean it with all your heart. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your love. Forgive me from my sin. Wash me clean, and I will be clean. Use me for your purpose. Be my Lord and Savior from this day forward. I'm all yours. Help me to stir up the gift you've given me and fan it into flame so others may know you. In Jesus' name, somebody say a good amen. Come on, let's clap our hands for all those that prayed that prayer today. Great job.